Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. And again, I know that that comes with a lot of emotion for those who don't have fathers, those who have lost fathers, those fathers who have lost children. There is so much involved. Nothing is, nothing is easy, but everything is meaningful. Um, We do want to be praying for a few things that have come across the email. We want to be praying for Kachina Lopez's dad, Frank Ellis. They still aren't sure uh, what's going on with him. They're doing a lot of tests, so we want to be praying for him. And then we want to be praying for Sue Benson as they found out that she does have pancreatic cancer. And so that is just heartbreaking. Um, Miriam's brother, I know one of them... Yeah, for his health, for Marion's brother. I know he is doing better, but yeah, continued prayer. So let's pause, let's pray, and let's lean into hope this morning. Lord God, we come before you with the inability to intervene in all these situations for healing and for help except our ability to pray and ask you and to trust in you. And that is a lot, but with it, it comes a a burden and a heartbreaking for the people we love who are in these situations. Lord, we lift up Sue to you and pray that you would fill her with love, hope, family, And as they move forward, may you guide her in the decisions she has to make for her own life, Lord. Thank you for Ben, for Kristen, and the love that they have for her, the support they are to her. May you continue to use them in her life, as well as for Frank and Kachina's dad, may you continue to bless him with the presence of family and goodness and with Marian's family also, Lord. Thank you for your working in and through us, Lord. May we be lights, may we be salt, may we be goodness to the people around us. And may this day be an opportunity for that goodness to take root within us once again. That song's brutal, man. It gets to me every time. It's like, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I think it fits in really well at kind of what we talked about last week with faith being an allegiance to 
a commitment to uh, living into something, right? Um, powerful. As we're concluding the series today on Ephesians 2 passage, save by grace through faith, not of works, lest you boast. I think it's important that we have humility, that I have humility coming into this. I know that our discussions afterwards have been so enriching and helping us to add a little texture to these words. And even as I shared before, where words can mean different things depending on how they're used, it's true with this word works. It has various meanings, and so it's important that we recognize that. Heaven's in the house. Heaven. <laughs> Everybody, welcome heaven. Um, let me ask you guys as we kind of step into this. When I say you're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest you boast, what does works mean? Your thoughts, any of those thoughts, hit me with something. What does it mean by works? Good deeds. Good deeds. So you're not saved by your good deeds. There are times in the books like of Galatians or Romans when Paul is dealing with people who are of Jewish ethnicity and people who are not Gentiles. And the idea of works, he might say works of the law, like in Galatians 2.16, know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Or in Romans 3, where he says, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And both of these books, Galatians and Romans, Paul associates works of the law with a person who is trying to identify themselves with the Christ by changing their ethnicity and becoming Jewish to participate in the salvation offered by Christ. In other words, there were people who were saying, to follow Jesus, you must first become Jewish in your practices so that you can participate in what Jesus is doing. And their practices are things like, you know, keeping the Sabbath or circumcision or feasts, those kinds of things. And so works were not necessarily just doing good deeds, but it was identifying with a certain group of people. And that was a big deal. So legalism for Paul, wasn't about working out the Christ gift by changing you know, practices and habits, but by trying to find your identity in following this Jewish patterns and practices, right? Legalism wasn't just don't do good works. Paul never condemned doing good things. There was never don't do good things because the idea of faith and works can be like opposites, and I don't think they are. Even as we talked about, none of these words are passive. Grace isn't passive. Faith isn't passive. 
And faith, if it's not passive, in some way is working something out. It's, as we talked about last time, an allegiance to. And so I think it's important that we don't label this word and think of it as doing things because it means more than that. It's okay to do good deeds. It's okay to do good things. But the works of the law are those Jewish practices that they were saying you have to comply with if you're going to now be a follower of Jesus. And Paul was saying, no, that takes away the whole purpose and freedom of new creation and what Jesus is meant to do. And I think we can do the same thing. Legalism can take on a similar vein with us where it's a group that we are a part of. And we see it in this way, right? It's our own bias. You can't be a Christian and a Democrat. You can't be a Christian and a Republican. You can't be a Christian and a Catholic. And we start trying to narrow this idea of what it is to be a Christian by the things you can't participate in. And what's happening right now, even with the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, right? where you can't be a part of our organization if you allow women to teach or ordain them. And I don't know if any of you follow, have been following that, and Rick Warren has been kind of just blasting things, and it's amazing that he's actually saying, I see things different, I should have spoke out all this time. But that's the same idea. You can't be a part of us and hold on to this. So the Romans who took on the Jewish identity, observing those rituals, observing the Sabbath, the different feasts, doing the things that just people who are Jewish do, just like things that maybe we do as Americans. You know, we celebrate the 4th of July, some of us, and then, or we pay taxes, hopefully all of us, right? Um, or file for extensions. Um, those are things we do because of who we are in our country as an identifying you know, marker. And that's what they were doing. You have to have these identifying markers. And those who didn't, there was this odds against them. We have these things to mark our connection. You don't, so you have to join us so that you can participate in this faith. And in Romans 3, Paul says, boasting is eliminated by how God sets people right, which is by Jesus, not by following the festivals, not by identifying with the ethnicity of a group of people, and that there are no subgroups. We do it right, you do it wrong. No, there are no subgroups in this family. I've said it before, and it's so important. Paul talks about unity more than he talks about anything else, more than he talks about justification, more than he talks about salvation, more than he talks about anything else. He talks about unity because this is at the center of this faith. You are one in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave, free, male, female. There is this overwhelming unity that is supposed to take place. And it's kind of crazy, really, how little the requirements are, at least by Paul, to be a Christian. 
Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That could be just about anybody. That could even be a thief on the cross, right? It's like, no, I mean, you've got to have some requirements, right? Yeah, just call on the name of the Lord. You're, I have so many questions. Well, what do you mean by all that? What about, right, I have all these ideas of what it could be. Or John would say, this is my command, that you love one another. Again, that's a pretty big group of people. It is, however, a requirement that you love one another. But the question here in Ephesians is, what comes first, the requirement from us or the motivation from God? And I think that's important to understand. In in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, we read, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. Again, this is the ethnic identity. What matters is faith working through love. That's what matters. Faith working through love. That's new creation. So when you look at a community... What is the animating dynamic of that community? What do you see? Well, we see that they follow this uh, creed. We, We see that they follow these things. Or do we see, like it says in chapter five of Galatians, verse 22, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control, against such, there is no law. What do they see? If you see factions, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, dissensions, the animating dynamic of that community is the power of the flesh. They're, They're wanting to have an identity that belongs to them, where the opposite, the fruit of the Spirit, is an identity that is looking like Jesus, is gracious, is kind. There's no need for the law against that. And think of what doctrinal statements do. They segregate who's in and who's out. So in the SBC, there are churches where the pastor has sexually abused women and they are still in the SBC, but then there are churches where women have taken a, a stand in leadership with character and they are kicked out because they're not following the right doctrine. What's the animating dynamic of that community? Is it the fruit of the spirit or is it the works of the flesh? And and so we start putting these doctrinal statements, but what happens if a person believes all these things? We believe that Jesus, he is born of a virgin, that he, he died on the cross, rose on the third day, ascended, and acts like a jerk. What do you do with that person? What is the dynamic that they're portraying? What is it that we receive when we look at that person. In Ephesians, however, we we do not see a Jew-Gentile dynamic taking place. And so I don't think the word works is connected to 
the identification with the ethnic ritual, but it's with something else that I think is pretty cool. In Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Tim Gombas, a theologian, talks about this verse and he compares it to Psalm 100. In Psalm 100, there's this kind of cadence that takes place, especially that psalm in the Septuagint version. The Septuagint version is a little bit different where it says, acknowledge that Yahweh is God, he made us, and it says, and not we ourselves. And this was a reminder of who they were as a people. How did we become this people of God? Well, God called Abraham. And then God delivered us from Egypt. And and God is the one who did this. And so God did this, not we ourselves. And when we compare Yahweh's God, he has made us, not we ourselves, with Ephesians, it's God gift, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his creation created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's very similar. It's dealing with origin. Who started the ball rolling? Who's the one who's in charge of all of this? What made God pull the lever of salvation that brought this resurrection, new creation dynamic into the world and created this community that we call the church out of nothing? What or who did that? I can tell you what it isn't, It isn't that God saw us and said, you guys got it all together. I'm going to support that. He's not responding to what we're doing. It's the other way around, which comes back to our understanding again of grace. If grace was, and I think still is, an investment made with expectancy, maybe we could use given with assumptions of return, it wasn't us who did the investing. It wasn't our working and God responding in return, but the opposite. I love how last week in our discussion, as we were talking with one another, we saw grace is God's investment and faith was the return for that investment. And love is the evidence of that return. So so there are a couple of ways to look at this word works and what it means. On one hand, like in Galatians and Romans, work is a legalism that is connected to Jewish identity markers. And the thinking that those markers brought about an understanding of what it meant to follow Christ. You follow the rituals of this ethnicity and this group. Or on the other hand, in Ephesians, work is more of a causation. What is the origin? That's the salvation of this community that we call the church that is to bear the image of God as the resurrected Christ did. The origin story of God's grace is God extending that. 
And the boasting is not about we're boasting in our ethnic superiority. We're not boasting in our getting it all right theologically. The, the boasting is we're not taking credit for it. We can't take credit for the fact that God extended himself to us. That was him. We are his people. He is God. We are responding to who he is. Think of the Tower of Babel versus Pentecost. The Tower of Babel, we will build and we will ascend to heaven. Pentecost, God invades humanity with the spirit. One, they are divided. Each one's speaking different languages and the other, they're speaking different languages, but they're united. The cause of one is the work of the flesh, doing something to try to get to. The other is the work of God doing something to reach. And so I think the idea of works here is important to understand that it's caused by what God did. Not we did it so that God would do it. And so it's really kind of putting it in the right priority. And that's why grace and faith aren't passive, but active. Grace and works aren't opposites, right? Grace is the initiative of God. Works would not be, works would be not recognizing that origin story and instead taking credit for it. Our story of the followers of Christ, our origin story is of God's gracious initiative invading the enslaved reality and giving us life because, as he says at the beginning of that chapter, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, as opposed to, look it, we figured it out. And that's the beauty of Jesus. He's not come for the righteous, but the sinner. He hasn't come for the healthy, but the sick. It is God who started this and we who are responding to it. And so it's not of works where we figured it out, we got it all together, and now we're doing it right. It is God who brought the image of Christ to us and invested in us by faith that yields its return by us living into the new creation that God has created for us. What does it mean then that if we're going to lean into this and, and to become what God is doing, to, to recognize that there are good works that he has prepared ahead of time so that we should walk into them. This is almost kind of, it's not by works, but we're supposed to be doing this work. It's because it's responsive in how we're supposed to be doing these things. I get so caught up sometimes, and maybe you guys can identify with this, with wanting to be able to explain easily what this means, right? What does it mean to be a Christian? And I, I want to have a, a real simple answer. What is a Christian? But before I get to that place, I have to step back and ask myself, why or what is motivating that question? What are the values that are underlining the need to have that kind of 
answer for that question? Why do I want a response to be, well, in case someone asks me what it is, I want to be able to tell them this is what it is. Am I looking for something that I can then pitch to others? This is why you should be a Christian. Because it's got 0% for 48 months, no down. What's motivating my wanting people to, to understand this? If you were to take your favorite TV series and tell me in one sentence what that series is about. Ted Lasso is a series about soccer. You would miss the whole point of it. You couldn't talk about it in a sentence. Yellowstone is a movie about Montana. Right? You're, you're missing the point. There's all the the internal dynamics, there is the tension, there are the characters that build on the story, there are so many parts to it that it's impossible to say what this is in a simple point. That's why you have to watch the three series to find out what it's all about because it takes that long for it to evolve and then let's get a deeper understanding. Why would we think life is different? Why would we think that this message of following Jesus could be explained simply. I, I love that Paul, well, gosh, Paul, Peter, James, John, basically all the writers of the New Testament, none of them talk about evangelism. None of them say, this is what it's like. Now, we get, you know, I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I live, and we make that a statement, but it's so much more than that. In fact, Paul, when he talks to the Corinthians, the way they preach is when they eat together. I love that. When you partake together, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. How? By the rich and the poor eating together, sharing that meal together, by dividing the walls that divide us, by bringing into this unity, now you're preaching the gospel. Don't give me the this, this, and this. You believe this, you do this, this, It's not, it's about living into this. And that's why grace, that's why faith are active. And that's why works is not the opposite to those things, but it's a recognizing of God being the initiator and we being the responder. So that we can respond now the correct way by living into this and walking in the way that Jesus did. I think this consumer culture has affected us on how we want to understand and explain things like salvation, like grace, like faith, like works, like the gospel. We, we think we need to be able to explain it, you know, traveling in an elevator from, you know, the first to the 20th floor. Okay, I gotta give them, this is my only chance to give them the gospel. No, you explain it when you sit down and you have dinner and it's not the conversation, it's actually how you eat dinner with people. It's how you love. Whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. You know, Lord, when did I do this to you? Well, when you did it to them. That's preaching. That's the gospel. What if what Jesus did is such a rich reality that it can't be boiled down? 
I'm reading a book right now called Curveball by Pete Enns. And he said this thing that stuck in my mind. It's adaptive. An adaptive faith. And immediately when I think of oh, faith is adaptive, it has to do with me changing the gospel and adapting it to my world. But that comes from a position of such arrogance. The, the humble position is to come at it and say, when it's an adaptive faith, it's I have so little knowledge and God is so big that when I get more understanding, I have to adapt to that understanding. That is adaptive faith. And doesn't that make more sense than the other way around? I'm not changing the gospel. I'm learning about the gospel as I live into it. Of course my faith is adaptive. Thank God our faith is adaptive. Thank God we got past slavery. Thank God we're getting past other things. I want to be able to say, thank God we got past women not being able to be pastors and leaders in churches. Thank God we adapted. Why? Because our understanding of God became more clear, had more information, recognized cultures and the things that were taking place. Thank God we're adapting and growing. It's important that we see that we don't reduce the gospel down to make it fit in something that can be understood and fail to capture what it is because it will push it into something smaller. No matter what we do. And of course, we have to use descriptions. We have to use things to get understandings. But we have to recognize that if this is talking about God and his working in humanity, then it's going to have to be adaptive as we live throughout humanity and understand it. And so I can't give you a sentence or a paragraph of what it is to be a Christian or how it is to be saved. It's something that has happened. It's something that is happening. It's something that will happen in the future. It's something that I'm living into. I can tell you that Paul said preaching the gospel is when they all got together and they ate that people saw and the message was proclaimed. So maybe what we need to do is eat more. There's good news. Maybe we need to live with others more. Maybe we need to push into this tension where we feel divided and bring a sense of unity. There are people I disagree with vehemently regarding how they see and understand the scripture, but I'm not better than them. I didn't start this thing. I have to live into it. And so we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast for we are his creation created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Each one of those words, think of how it is used And this passage of scripture, I think, becomes so much more than maybe what we thought it was. 
least it has for me. I look forward to hearing some more conversation, but let's pray. God, thank you again for people who look at these passages with discernment and understanding, who, who understand the language, who understand the times, who share things that give us insight and allow us to wrestle past the things that maybe we have heard or the limitations that we have given them and recognize that we are learning still. God, I, I don't have the answers. I am a student. I am learning. I am adapting to who you are. May we all have that attitude. May we all be disciples. May we all be learners. May we all desire your will to be done as it is in heaven, here on earth. And may we lean into that with our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Again, happy Father's Day. May the grace of God invested in you yield faith that produces love and good deeds so that others can see you walking in the steps of your Father. God bless you guys. Have a tremendous day, tremendous week. Talk to you later. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.